Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today, so thank you for listening. For those that do not know me or those that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times women assume that they have to have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. Many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. I have personally been in education for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher ed level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and podcast host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is an opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to help guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. I have made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Therefore, I help women in education develop positive leadership skills to become that confident leader. I'm honored to have the opportunity to highlight the amazing things women are doing in education. Each show will have a guest from a different background across the country with unique perspectives to share related to empowering women in educational leadership. Our amazing guest today is Chanel Watson from the Woodward Hines Foundation. She is currently the chief of staff of the Woodward Hines Foundation, which is an an endowed nonprofit organization focused on improving college attainment for Mississippians. Chanel has also served on the board of the Women's Foundation of Mississippi. She is a licensed Mississippi certified public accountant with over 20 years of nonprofit experience. She attended Millsaps College, where she earned both her bachelor's and her master's degree. I am so excited to welcome Chanel to the show. How are you, Chanel? Welcome. Thank you you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. So tell me a little bit about your background. You know, I shared that brief bio, but there's always so much to the story. So if you will, share your personal journey with me and how you became a leader in your field, especially there at Woodward Hines. Wow, that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think personally, um, I share some things in common with you. Uh, I also had a strong mother um, who was a huge influence in my life. And um, being the oldest of four siblings, I, I learned leadership early. Uh, I was tasked with <laughs> helping with my younger brothers and my younger brother and sisters. And so uh, I think that's probably where I started sharp, sharpening my my leadership skills, but um, definitely my mother was a huge influence in my life. And she always encouraged me to to think bigger 
um, to to think with your heart and your head Uh, when you're making decisions. Consider that people are always involved in everything that we do and um, be thoughtful uh, about the way that I engaged with people. And so that's probably where I learned it first. And I think I took what she taught me uh, into the professional realm and just um, it was very organic. Actually, I had a several mentors, people that I would consider to have been my mentors um, early in my professional career. And it continued um, just naturally connecting with people, asking questions. Um, And from them, I learned a lot about leadership. So I I was fortunate in that way. Well, and you mentioned several things right there in, in your message. You talked about sharpening your leadership skills. And I think that term is so amazing because Becoming a leader is not just one and done, right? It's all about continuing to learn and continuing to grow. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, It's it's interesting because um, over the years, I found that my toolkit, if you will, for leadership has been um, certain things have been exercised at different times. So, you know, where you might have decision making as a skill that you need to work on. There were just times in my life where it seemed to be that that was the skill that I was honing in on the most. I was having to make a lot of decisions and you have to do it quickly. You have to do it in a way that's informed. Um, And then, you know, you flex to other things like management of people. Mm -hmm. You know, there were times in my career where I did that more than other times. And so that was um, a section of my life where I just sharpened that skill, um, having to do it repetitiously. Well, and you mentioned that there were different ways and areas that you had to focus on. And so I think that that's one thing that leaders sometimes struggle with because they're trying to multitask, if you will. And it really comes a time or there really comes a time when you have to pick one thing and what's going to be your focus right now. You're still managing those other things. Yep. But it's almost what is your primary goal at that moment? So did that come naturally to you? Is it, it's just kind of, you know, what was needed at that time? Or did you have a strategy? Uh, I certainly wouldn't go so far as to say I had a strategy. <laughs> 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 I, I've been a professional for almost 25 years. Like, mm-hmm. that's hard for me to to wrap my brain around. I'm aging myself a little bit. But, um, yeah, I. It didn't start out intentionally as a strategy, but as I started to step into leadership spaces, whether it be in my professional career or within the community or even within my own family, um, there were just um, times where I wanted to lean into certain things. I wanted to be better in certain regards. I think probably the the most organic space that I can demonstrate myself as a leader is as a parent. Mm -hmm. I have three teenage sons. You know, I've been doing this for a lot of years and they constantly teach me something new. (laughs) (laughs) They they keep you on your toes. I've got two teenage boys. So, (laughs) yes, you know, you know, the drill, you know, I do. I do. And so you there are some things that you're intentional about wanting to get better at when you when you know people are looking to you for leadership. And then other times, you know. there's no strategy at all. Sometimes it just falls in your lap and you learn a lot and you realize, hey, I'm better now having gone through this experience or having encountered these people. And these are um, takeaways that I'm always going to have that I can use in the future. Well, and have you found that if you've made a mistake or if you've had a challenge and you've learned from it, that you remember it much better in the future? I mean, you have to make mistakes in order to learn. 
Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, you know, mistakes, um, naturally, the word has a negative connotation, right? You know, we mm-hmm. nobody wants to make a mistake. But, you know, sometimes um, mistakes um, fortify us. They make us stronger um, in a lot of regards. And you if you're if you're not intentional about letting yourself take a risk, you won't encounter those mistakes and you won't be fortified. So that's the probably some of the advice I might share with somebody if they they just ask me about taking risks and, you know, putting yourself out there to do different things. You, you're probably going to make a lot of mistakes, but it's OK. You, you're probably going to feel more confident stepping into other spaces, having had that experience. Um, and that's a better position to be in always. You know, confidence is, is key. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, whenever I talk to a lot of leadership groups, whether it's student leaders, whether it's women leaders, anybody in education or elsewhere, we always talk about getting outside of that comfort zone. Because so many times we just want to do the same things over where we know the outcome. We know it's going to happen. We're yep. comfortable within our own zone in our own space, but you don't really learn and grow and develop until you get outside of that, knowing that you might get knocked down a few times, but it is learning the lesson, getting back up, and you keep stepping forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Well, you know, the interesting thing about my career, you you said at the top when you were reading a portion of my bio about my being a certified public accountant, I am, I have been for almost 20 years now, but I don't actively practice accounting. Uh, mm-hmm. The work that I do as chief of staff of Wilbert Hines doesn't really require me to. Um, I'm stepping into a different different role with the organization, so I no longer practice accounting, but the skills that I learned as an accountant translate to a lot of the things that I'm tasked with doing as a chief of staff. And so, you know, for me, I've always been um, um, asked, if you will, by certain people who have been in leadership positions in in the organization to ask me to take on new things. They were like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you've ever had experience with this, but can you try it? And the accountant in me says, absolutely not. I want to do it the same (laughs) way. I want to do it the same way I've always been doing it. But the creative in me, which I actually have a portion of my existence that has that, is saying, you know what? Why not? Let's try it. Let's let's see if we can make it work. But those skills that I've learned as an accountant sometimes teach me how to be creative. Mm hmm. So, you know, it's not quite as scary as I thought it would be right. <laughs> to do something this new or th- when someone asks you to create something from nothing, you're like, wow, how do I do this? But I've actually acquired some skills over the years that helped me do that. Well, and the other crazy part about it and something that you just said is a lot of times we think we know our own journey, but in the in the journey of leadership on that pathway, other people see different strengths or different opportunities for you. And so when somebody says, hey, you want to come do this project? Or, hey, have you ever thought about doing this, that, or the other? That could be a turning point in your whole career, in your whole life. Ooh, you just spoke a word because (laughs) that is how I came to accounting. I was was enrolled at Millsaps College. I was a, 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 a business administration major. And I had a professor approach me and say, you know, you really should think about majoring in accounting. I was taking principles of accounting as part of the curriculum. And so I was like, okay, it's no big deal. But he was like, I really want you to think about you know, leaning into this and taking it a step further and majoring in accounting. I was like, what? 
accountants, no way. Accountants are boring. That's not me. <laughs> I, oh my I can't do that. But when when I now looking back, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I'm so grateful that I was open to it, you know, because what if I had been super resistant and hadn't taken that step and taken that leap? So um, but that was also um, a decision that was made based upon a relationship of trust with my professor. Right. And so that was just he served an important role in my life that allowed me to trust that what he was saying, as you said, he saw something in me that I didn't even see. And so uh, that suggestion, I took it to heart and took the next step. And here I am. Did Does he know that that was? Oh, he time? absolutely knows. Okay. I see him all the time. I'm like, Jesse, you changed my life. And he's like, you give me too much credit. <laughs> he's like, I just showed you the way. I just, I just guided showed, you. I just showed you the way, but I'm grateful. Showed you the door. That's right. Well, you hit on something earlier when you were talking about being a leader in your experiences that you wanted to be better. The fact that you wanted to be better means that you were open to feedback, to opportunity, to possibly change. So how important is it as a leader to be open to wanting to be better? That's a great question. And to me, it's probably essential uh, I don't I don't know how other people would characterize it. Introspection is something that I was taught to value early on. You know, that guidance that I received from my mother about um, questioning, challenging, you know, trying to lean into things and understand them in a, in a substantive way. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think that I learned that the most there is that if being introspective allows me to reflect on something that I've said that I've done um, and and learn from it and possibly help me show someone else mm-hmm. how to take next steps um, based on that introspection. Because to me, interactions are key, our relationships to other individuals. And when you're in a professional setting, personal setting, it really doesn't matter. But how you engage with other people um, sets the tone for how that relationship will develop, how it will continue. And so if you're not willing to look at yourself and say, here's where I could have played a better role, here's where I could have been a stronger support, it's hard for those relationships to grow in the way that is fruitful and pr- productive. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's really important that you look within yourself to say, what can I do as a leader? Um, and as you said before, you know, leadership isn't formal. You know, there are a lot of spaces where we are seen as leaders where we don't wear a title. It's just that's right. Just a space that you happen to occupy. And so um, when you want to be regarded um, with respect, I think that you, you you approach things from that position with that posture. Well, and there's so many different opportunities with your relationships. You know, John Maxwell said that leadership is influence and it really is. But the way that somebody influences you can be positive or negative. And I've known a lot of leaders that do it in a negative connotation, but you are supporting the positive, which is what I support as well, is building those relationships, you know, getting to know the individuals that are around you, asking the questions, being approachable, you know, all of those pieces are so essential in effective, positive, transformational leadership. Yeah. So what are some things that that you would say to somebody that says, well, how do I build those relationships? How do I do that? I I don't know how to do that. 
Yeah, you know, again, there are some people who are really strategic about this stuff. You know, they're like, I'm going to join this organization. And I'm going to do this in a year. And then in five years, this is going to happen. That is absolutely not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm a strategic person in a lot of ways, but I'm just not laser focused upon it. Right. I'm much more fluid right. and flexible, malleable. I do go with the flow a lot, but at the same time, I have to remind myself that there's an end game or a goal in mind with particular circumstances. So um, I, I think what I would tell people is do what is natural for you. You know, it's so it's so um, easy to let people tell you, oh, you should do this. You should do that. And it's great to take advice from people. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the reason why engaging with people is important. People can give you fantastic advice, but what works for one may not work for all. Mm-hmm. And so if you're an uber extroverted person <laughs> asking a super introverted person, you know, where should I go to do X, Y, and Z activity? That may not be the best person to ask. That's um, right. you, you, you might have to revisit that. So finding, finding your tribe, finding your people, I think is important. Um, so those natural activities um, that are related to your profession, for example, I'm a member of the Society of C- CPAs, um, have been for a very long time, and they're the primary vehicle with which we receive continuing education for licensed professionals in the state of Mississippi. And that's an, an, an important aspect of maintaining my license, but it also gives me the opportunity to engage with people who are my peers. You know, I'm serving right. on committees with them. We have social hour. We have governance activities for the, the society. So I'm involved in that community in a variety of ways. And so I would just encourage people, whatever your professional you know, acumen is or your field, you know, find your tribe um, and the spaces that feel good to you. You know, if you're naturally that person that's in the background wanting to organize things and make things go, or if you're that person that wants to be out front, (laughs) exactly, exactly. You know, you're pointing to yourself that that's all I want to be in the background. Yeah. Um, But once, once you find your tribe, building those relationships become very easy. You know, it's just very natural. You're having conversations with people. You're getting to know one another, um, serving in whatever capacity that you're doing. Um, and it's not forced. It's not forced. Right. And you don't feel like you're you're having to do this because it was a recommendation of someone else's. You know, mm-hmm. you can do it because it's just right for you. Well, and I love that you talked about finding your tribe and then basically finding your own way. So what is the way that you're going to lead? You might glean from what one person does and another person does. But I had somebody on the show. She was actually my very first um, guest that I had when I had a radio show. And she was the chancellor of Arkansas State University Mid-South. And she said that the best advice she ever received as a leader is that you wear your own shoes. You're not going to fit in somebody else's shoes. I like that. Have your own style. You know, you can get information from others, but you wear your own shoes. It's true. So that just resonated with me going, you know what? You're right. I like what that person does a little bit. I like this part of that other leader that I see. I like this leader, but you are your your own leader. And yes, yes. When you say find your tribe, that's actually something that a couple of my other guests have have said. One said, find your tribe. The other said, find your um, fictitious board of directors. And so it kind of depends on what area you're in on if you want a board of directors or you want a tribe, 
But in essence, it's finding people that you can confide in, that you can talk to, that you can brainstorm with, that maybe are your mentors as well. And it's people from different walks of life that all have an influence on you. Absolutely. And you have an influence on them. Absolutely. And most of the time, they're outside of your organization. So, you know, there's no challenges with, with sharing information. Absolutely. And you'll find that the people that you connect with um, fill certain pieces of the puzzle that you need. So one thing may, you know, one person won't be everything to you. You know, you might have a mentor that's very strong in strategic thinking and planning that you, when it, whenever those decisions are presented to you, you can go to that person and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? But that person may not be the best people manager. That's right. <laughs> You that's might right. have to, you might have to go to somebody else for that, and that's okay. That that is okay. That you've got pockets of opportunity and support, um, and you just after you get to know people, you know what they're good at, and you're like, if I ever have this question, I can go to the, I can go to her, or I can go to her. Your your anal- analogy about the shoes is so funny because I think that all the time. I see other people's shoes, and I'm like, those are so cute, but I could never <laughs> wear those. Yep, I am right there with you. I, I'm just old school, black, you know, normal. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, color at all. that heel is very high. I don't think I could ever <laughs> wear those, but those are super cute on your feet. That's right. So you mentioned mentor. So you've mentioned the, the term mentorship in, in the past few minutes. So what role do you think mentorship plays in fostering women's leadership? I think it's everything, you know, um, I don't know if we've just been socialized to believe that women are natural mentors. Um, it just feels like <laughs> we are, at least it has been for me. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's so incredibly important um, to have people that you can confide in. You mentioned that earlier, and I think that's important. Sometimes there are things professionally that you want to hold close to the vest, that mm-hmm. that happened to you and having someone that you can share confidences with and they can give you objective feedback is so valuable because it gives you peace of mind. It allows right. you to make decisions within the comfort of, you know, whatever your head and heart space is at that time. And so um, I, I encourage people wherever you can. And again, that mentorship role could be filled in a variety of ways by a variety of people. There are right. some people that mentor you in your professional career growth. And then there are some people who will um, mentor you and how to balance your personal life with that professional life. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think it's important to mention, though, that when we say mentorship, we're not saying find somebody who's going to tell you what to do. No. You know, a mentor is somebody that can listen to you, that maybe can ask some additional questions for clarity, that help you come up with your own solution. But they just, they kind of know what direction you're probably going to go but they help you work through it. It's not somebody that just tells you what to do. So I don't want anybody to think that you've got to go out and find somebody to tell you everything because then it's not your own, right? Right. Well, you know, the the thing about mentorship is if if you find somebody who's a few paces down the road of where you're Mm -hmm. you're going, you know, they've been there, so to speak. Um, And so they've got a little bit of experience under their belt they, they've got some perspective that they can offer. And that person doesn't necessarily have to be older than you. You know, right. if, if you find somebody who has been doing the work that you're doing or has been facing the challenges that you have, 
mm-hmm. before you face them, they could probably still give you valuable advice. And so I think that's another thing that maybe is a misconception about what mentorship looks like. Um, it could be somebody who's younger than you, but has has the experience to share that helps you navigate certain situations. That is so true. And I just think mentorship, you know, it is it is such an incredible arena because I don't know if most people realize, but you are best meant to serve the person you once were. So, you know, I came up through educational leadership in K-12 and higher ed. So I have worked with a lot of individuals who are going through that same path, yep. trying to navigate their own space. And I'm sure that you've done the same in, in your arena as well. Yeah, you know, I have a a much younger brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just really starting out his professional career and he has lots of question how-to questions for yep. me. How do how how do I go about this? How should I approach this? And you know, I'm sure he thinks this lady has no idea what she's talking about, but a lot of my advice is be flexible. Like right. there really isn't a roadmap for a lot of the things that we encounter in life. There are some best practices Mm -hmm. like treating people with respect, um, having agency over your own decisions. You know, there are just some things that are par for the course, but you got to be flexible because you're dealing with human beings Mm -hmm. and human beings need grace. We need education. (laughs) We need support. We need all of the things. And so my advice, I often to him is, you know, be flexible with what your perspective is and and what the outcomes could be. You know, you know, be sure that you recognize I'm in this space. It could go left or it could go right. What am I prepared to do in either one of those scenarios? (laughs) Well, and you mentioned something a couple times now is your head and heart space. Yeah. Is that whenever you're making decisions, it's not just your head, but it's also your heart because we're dealing with humans, right? We're dealing with people. And there are so many leaders that I have seen that make all the decisions with their head without the heart, and it's never a good outcome. Or if you are only heart and you're not thinking about the head, (laughs) then usually it gets you off track a little bit and you're going, oh, how do I get back on track? Yep. So I think that that is so important that you have to have both your head and your heart in everything that you do with leadership. That is so essential because you also talked about relationships and communication and getting to know folks and you know, and, and having your own way of doing things, but yet following those typical best practices, then I think that you are able to, you know, being an amazing person along your journey. Absolutely. You know, um, emotional intelligence is critical. You know, people yes. underestimate how important it is when you're navigating, you know, your professional relationships aren't any different than any other kind of relationships because what you're trying to do is balance productivity with what is happening to people in everyday life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, you know, those, even those personal relationships that, that happens in my household with me and my husband and my children, you know, we, we've got all these things going on and while we're stressed and under the gun to get certain things done, we still have to remember to love each other and treat each other with respect. And so that emotional intelligence that translates in every environment you'll find yourself in, including the professional realm. Well, and it's so funny that you bring up that specific term because I just did a workshop for Houston Community College earlier this week, and it was about positive conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. about responding versus reacting. Mm 
So whenever a situation comes up, do you blow up like a nuclear reaction or do you respond like an emergency responder that's there to help? Yeah. And the difference between the two, one is wait time or the pause and the other is emotional intelligence. Yeah. Because whenever you react to something, you are doing honestly a self-centered reaction based on, you know, how you see it immediately. You're not getting any feedback whatsoever. Yeah. But if you have that emotional intelligence where you can keep your emotions in check, you know, you think about the situation, you have that empathy that's there, you're able to communicate in the high stress environment and you respond, then the outcome is so different. So I love that you brought up emotional intelligence because this is honestly one of the biggest areas of challenge for a lot of students that are coming through college right now and coming into the oh, workforce absolutely. and even young, young individuals in the workforce. Have you seen that at all with those that you work with or in your area of expertise, that emotional intelligence is challenged a little bit more than it may have been in the past or it's just different? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't know if it's if if I could characterize it as a emotional intelligence. One of the things that we do at Wilbur Hines Education Foundation is we focus on helping Mississippians pursue the post-secondary credentials that they need, whatever that means. It could be a certificate, a two-year associate degree, four-year bachelor's degree, um, just anything beyond high school that will allow them to have a family-sustaining wage is what we focus mm-hmm. on. And in our relationships with our grantees who do a lot of work in that college space, um, one of the things that they say is a real struggle right now is student engagement. How do you get students involved on campus? One of the things that we know that helps a student be successful is engagement, you know, feeling Mm -hmm. a sense of belonging, connecting with community. When they arrive on campus, do they feel like they're a part of what's happening and that they can participate actively and and feel like um, they belong there? Or do they feel disjointed and disconnected from everything that that often is an indicator that a student may not be successful um, when Mm -hmm. they have that, that disconnected feeling? And so one of the things that our partners are reporting is student engagement is really low right now. Students mm-hmm. are just kind of flailing a little bit, trying to figure out, you know, what is this post-COVID reality supposed to be like? Because if right. if we can just rewind ourselves four years ago, everybody was at home, you know, in March of 2020. We all went home. We didn't know what the future was going to look like. We had this, this you know, emergency health situation that descended upon our campuses. And a lot of those students who were in high school at that time then went to college and they carried forward that same posture. And so they were like, well, we don't know what it means to go to the ice cream social. We don't we don't do that. What where, what do you mean? Public mm-hmm. gatherings? No, that's dangerous. <laughs> and so unlearning that. I think it's something that it has beset upon our campuses and that we're really having to to teach our young people. We're having to reset the way that they think about what that engagement looks like. And so emotional intelligence could step into that space because they've had little practice engaging with one another as young adults. They may be behind the eight ball with developing that emotional t- intelligence, but they'll get there. They'll be fine. They're, they're like the rest of us. They've got some time to learn. That's right. And I think that that is what, you know, the pandemic did is it paused some of the growth and learning that students had for that time. And when I was at the college, we did term it as emotional intelligence with some of our students because they just didn't know how to navigate. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they had a cell phone, they had a computer, they would get instant gratification, but having those conversations with real words and real interaction and waiting for the response and navigating the conversation, mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't have all that. So that's been a big part of the learning and getting students involved in organizations, in meetings, in leadership positions, yeah. in activities. And so I love that, you know, what we've always said, even before COVID, is you are so much more successful when you get involved on campus. Yes. And that is not just about retention and persistence and success, but it's also about learning how to work with others. You know, that teamwork, having conversations, connecting, community. Yeah. So, I mean, I I feel that all that is part of leadership. Absolutely. 100% agree. And, you know, when we engage with other people, naturally conflicts will arise. You know, our students learn to to develop a toolkit for how do I resolve a disagreement with a classmate or with a roommate? How do I approach it in a way that is responsible and respectful, but still gets outcomes that serves everyone? Um, just it, it, it does give you practice with those things when, when you get involved, um, with other people. And so it carries over into the workplace. It carries over into all of our lives. I mean, you think about, um, being involved in community organizations, being involved with your, 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 whatever religious organization you may be a part of, you're always going to have to serve on a committee. (laughs) Everybody's got to agree on what we're going to do with these funds. And, you know, and, and, and it can be a challenge. (laughs) I'm having a flashback to all my committee meetings. (laughs) Oh man, we've got PTSD. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All the committee meetings. Um, You know, another thing that you mentioned early on is that when people are looking to you for leadership and then you finished a statement, but the fact that you know, people do look to you for leadership. So if you're the leader, how do people see you? You know, I think that, I don't know that all leaders think of it that way. They think, oh, I'm in this position, I have this title, this is what I can do. But people really look at the leader to see how they're treating others and what they do. Do you feel that that shapes the culture of that organization? No doubt. No doubt. I saw this. I'm going, she's saying no, but she's saying no doubt. (laughs) It absolutely shapes culture. People want to, um, uh, I'm using assimilate because that's the word that's coming to me. I don't know if that's the most appropriate term, but people want to feel as if they fit. And mm-hmm. so they look around when they enter an organization to, to see what is everybody else doing? And one of the classic examples that I used to give um, a friend of mine, um, she actually is the mother of my goddaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my goddaughter is an only child. And so her mother would say things like, oh, she might not want to do this because when we're at home, she never wants to participate. And what I knew as the mother of three boys is the power of peer pressure is very strong. <laughs> when they see other kids doing it, they just like, OK, well, we're just going to do this now. And so when she would come right. over to my house and play with our boys, a lot of the things that her mother and father thought she wouldn't do, she was absolutely doing because mm-hmm. now she's got the influence of her peers that, you know, drive her in that direction. And so that's what happens when we enter organizations. We look around and we say, okay, what is everybody else doing? And then obviously when we when the leaders step into the space, we we feel like they're setting the tone of expectation. Mm-hmm. What is it that they're doing? 
And I'm going to mimic that. I'm going to going to mirror it, reflect it, however, you know, you want to phrase it. But whatever I'm seeing from the tone at the top, that's how I'm going to engage with others. And so mm-hmm. uh, making sure that whatever that model is, that it's appropriate for the workplace, that it's productive, um, that it allows people to feel value in the work that they're giving. Um, I've seen some demeaning things happen in the workplace that make people feel undervalued, devalued. Uh, that's not productive. Right. <laughs> uh, right. So, so you there's there's it's a it's a gumbo of ingredients that you have to have to get everybody rally around the same vision, do the work and do it in a way that makes people feel supported and valued. And that's not as easy as it sounds. No, it is not. You know, John Gordon, who is an international bestselling author, Power of Positive Leadership, Power of Positive Teams, um, The Energy Bus, his whole thing is culture is not one thing. Culture is everything. And as the leader, if you are not leading in a positive manner so that people feel wanted, they feel like they belong, you know, whenever you do that, their creativity goes up, their innovation goes up, their motivation, their willingness to be there and stay with the organization, all of that goes up. Likewise, if all the opposite is going on, it's likely to go down. So culture is everything. And it's. And it's seeing that leader, not just as the leader, but as a person, you know, not being scared to approach them. Um, You know, one of the things that that was probably the best thing for most leaders to do, I did it myself, I know several other great leaders that have done it, is getting out of your office and simply walking around. Oh, it's having those, oh my gosh, when when they see you outside of your office, they're like, oh, it's a real human. (laughs) You know what I would... I would run into students at Walmart. They go, oh, you don't live in your office? No, I don't live in my office. <laughs> I actually have a life. That, that's right. That, that is the student perspective. Um, yes. Teachers live at school. But I, I agree with you. I, I agree. Getting out and walking around and just getting to know people. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's um, it makes you relatable. It, yes. it, make, it makes you relatable as a leader. And, you know, people need to know. Um, that being a leader is not something that's scripted. Like it, not everybody knows how to do it. Uh, that's right. That's and, right. And, and, and even observing challenges or obstacles, things that you might be struggling with as a leader, being, you know, as transparent as you have the liberty to be with mm-hmm. your staff that, hey, this is not easy for me. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out or I'm still trying to understand what this means. I think it's okay to let people see you actively working through a decision. Mm-hmm. You don't have no, to come to the table and have it all figured out. That's right. Because what tends to happen is that a lot of times somebody's doing a great job in one position and they go, oh, you're doing a great job there. Let's put you in this leadership position with no training, with no background. <laughs> It's happy birthday. Have a nice day. Good job. Good luck. You just mentioned the key. Support. Support. You've got to train your people. You've got to give them the resources to be successful. You got to give them room to be successful. Even when you give people all the training and support, if you're going to micromanage me, you can just do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is no you got to give me room to breathe and grow and make some of those mistakes that we talked about earlier. Learn from it. Pick myself up. Keep going. Um, but right. yeah, people have got to have the proper training. Just, uh, don't throw me in the deep end and say, good luck with that. 
Well, and what tends to happen is when somebody gets to this position, a lot of times, especially with women, they suffer from something called imposter syndrome. Mm. You know, they feel like they don't deserve to be there because now they're being challenged. Yep. You know, now it's a whole new space. Have you ever experienced or known anybody to have imposter syndrome? And if so, what recommendations do you have to overcome it? Wow. I've, I've definitely experienced it myself. Um, accounting, you know, when I entered the profession, it was starting to um, change demographically. Uh, accounting prior to my entry into the field was overwhelmingly male. It was a predominantly white profession. Um, and as an African-American female, you can imagine I was in a lot of spaces that no one looked like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no one looked like me. And I'm like, wow, you know, if I if I raise my hand and make a suggestion, are people going to take me seriously? Like, do I belong here? Have I earned a spot? You ask yourself all those questions. And so um, I would say to someone who's experiencing that, going back to our earlier conversation about finding your tribe, there are people who are in your realm that are experiencing those thoughts or have experienced those thoughts and um, finding a mentor in that space or someone who can relate to you um, in that area is always um, a strong place to start. It just allows you to feel seen and like you can voice some things that maybe you might not be able to voice with others. Um, And being heard, I think, is the first step in us stepping into our power. Mm -hmm. You know, when you feel like someone hears you, you can take that first step into owning your agency. Okay, you know what? She felt the same way. I can do this. That's right. (laughs) You you know, uh, I I feel like that's usually a critical early step is finding other people who you might be able to talk with in confidence about those those feelings. And it's natural to have that thought. And it's natural to try to figure out how to navigate it. There is no one size fits all. Here's how you should handle it. Or here's what you should say. Or here's how you should approach it. I think you just you learn over time how to engage that emotional intelligence and execute some of those little small things that help you get more comfortable with just being in the space and voicing your opinions and um, framing the conversation in a way that makes you feel good that you're participating and being taken seriously. And no, you're not an imposter. No, you're not. And, and I can envision this, this is almost back to the comfort zone conversation, right? Because when you're in your comfort zone, you're almost you almost have your boundary or your perimeter of that circle that is imposter syndrome. And once you go over it, that's where everything is new and you're not quite sure if you belong. Mm-hmm. But it's we true. always talk about the comfort zone like some old tennis shoes that you wear all the time. They're starting to fall apart. They feel really good. You don't want to give them up. But you go out and buy those new shoes and you try them on and it's a little uncomfortable at first. You know, maybe it rubs a couple spots on your feet. But as you begin to wear them, as you break them in and begin to use them, it gets more comfortable. So it's the same thing. You've got that uncomfortable feeling right when you get out. But the more you do it, the more confident you become, the better your decisions become. And then your experiences. I I think about when my children learn to walk Mm -hmm. um, and that being a, a, a great observation for me as a human being. You know, they take those first steps and they're very unsteady. They're very unsure. They're holding out their hands, waiting for you to connect with them. Catch me, you know. That's right. I, I, I know I'm on unstable you back ground. back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you back coming? up. 
And they're like, no, 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 wait, I need you. I need you. And it's like, no, you're going to be okay. You might stumble, you might fall, but you're going to be able to get back up and eventually you'll be able to walk with no issues. And so um, I think that's a, a perfect example of how we approach life. We take those first few unsteady steps and we're unsure and we're like, this is going to be disastrous. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But and you keep getting up. You keep getting up. And sometimes there is some disaster in there, but you still survive. You survive right. and you learn and you grow and you keep moving. So I, it, it, you you can make it. <laughs> Even in a disaster, you can make it. Just one step at a time. One yep. step at a time. So whenever we talk about strategies or techniques for effective communication, because we've talked about communication through this whole piece, and I think that's almost the foundation of being a leader. Are there any recommendations that you have of effective communication techniques or just how communication has evolved or how you feel it is important in what you do on a regular basis? Mm. Listening Mm -hmm. is probably the best communication tool you have. Mm -hmm. Hearing what people say and sometimes hearing what people don't say Mm -hmm. (laughs) is equally strong. Uh, I think you can prompt people with questions To not only, and I think when you ask people questions, it needs to be from a place of authenticity. Don't ask just for the sake of asking. I think you need to ask from a place, um, to come from a place of understanding, you know, so that you can better understand what their thoughts are, what their perspectives are. Um, But then I think also there are some questions we can ask people that kind of nudge them and challenge them to think a little bit more deeply about how they might respond in a particular situation or how they're approaching certain kinds of work. Um, I do think that there's a way to to thoughtfully frame questions where you can learn and so can the people that you're talking to. But yeah, listening is the biggest part of communication. And then, you know, letting people know that you as a leader are ready and willing to do what it takes to support them in their growth. I think that is the biggest step in empowerment is letting people know that they're not out there by themselves. You know, it's up to you to figure this out or, you know, you've got to take this on and let me know how it turns out. I, in in a position of leadership, you've got to let people know that you are willing to provide the resources and support that they need to be successful. And ultimately that's what you want. You want your team to win. Like, uh, don't don't give me a task thinking that I'm going to fail. The whole goal is for us to be successful at it. So um, I think the communicating to people that that is what you're about and what your intentions are as a leader is to make them successful and that you hear what they say and that you are thoughtful about providing them the support that they need. You know, so many times there's so much noise around us now whether it is a cell phone or whether it is, you know, just societal noise or people talking around us. But whenever we are speaking with somebody, we have to make sure that we give them our full attention. Mm-hmm. You know, put those sound, put put those notifications away, put the phones away, you know, all of those different things. And so whenever we have the time in the space, it is really to focus on that individual. And when they notice that you are giving them that time, when it is just the two of you or the three of you or however many it is of you and listening to hear what they say, but not listening so that you can respond right away. Right. 
So, so many people do that. They just listen so that they can figure out what they're going to say next and they don't hear half the conversation. So it's all about that. And as you mentioned, prompting questions, your posture, where you sit, how Mm -hmm. you hold your body, you know, are your arms folded? Are your arms open? I mean, all of these things make such a big difference with communication. And I love that you said our goal is to empower one another and to support one another and to be successful. It's not threatening. Right. We just, we want to focus on that vision of wherever we are and and reach it. And communicating, um, reinforcing the point of whatever the goal is. You know, we all work for different organizations that have different missions, visions, people, talents, Mm -hmm. assets. Mm -hmm. And there is some some central idea that everybody is rallying around. Right. And you have to reinforce that with every meeting, every discussion, you know, to let people know, ultimately, we're coming to the table over this issue. This is something we all agree on. It's all something that we're working towards. And it builds, continues to build on that sense of community that we are still engaging in the same community over the same issue together. This is us in here together d- approaching this work. And, well, and that's the that's shared huge, vision, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, make, it makes people feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. I think that's yes. another part of um, creating valuable teams as a leader is when people see the bigger vision or the bigger work, um, the small things that I might have felt during the day that didn't go right or interactions that I had that were less than positive, you know, those feel less personal. I think when people realize that there is a bigger thing that we're all approaching, um, they can step outside of themselves to receive, okay, you know what? That wasn't the greatest day, but you know what? It's, it's all good. We're going to keep moving. We're, we're working on this thing together. So um, I think that's an important thing to reinforce as a leader too. I love that you brought that up because that was just one a part of one of my talks recently is to have a shared vision. So that everybody's on the same page. We should hit the road. We should. (laughs) That they have a sense of belonging. And then they understand their why and how that's related to the shared vision. But that also relates to what we just said a minute ago is that if you have some sort of conflict and the resolution isn't exactly what you thought, it doesn't mean that I don't like you or it doesn't mean that that wasn't a great suggestion. It might not be in line with our shared vision and where we need to go. Oh, And so it's... It is so important. So let's let's segue because we only have a few more minutes. Let's segue into um, Woodward Hines. So sure. tell me about you know the work or what's one thing that you'd like to share about Woodward Hines for anybody that might not know about it. Sure. So uh, again, Woodward Hines Education Foundation is a Mississippi-based endowed nonprofit organization, and we are focused on helping Mississippians obtain the college credentials and certificates they need to sustain their families. And so for us every day, that looks like running our Get to College program, uh, which has three centers in the state. We have one based in South Haven, Mississippi, just below Memphis. We have our oldest office in Jackson um, in the central area. And then we also have one in Ocean Springs on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And through that program, we do everything related to planning and paying for college. So our staff members in that group, about 16 individuals, um, do everything from uh, FAFSA training and ACT prep to uh, talking to students about what college application process looks like. And we do that in our centers as well as in the schools that we serve throughout the state. We serve all 82 counties and um, they are a fantastic group. 
And then again, our work also looks like us being a grant maker. We have grantee partners all throughout the state that work on uh, college access work, some that do persistence and completion in the actual college space. And then we also have a third priority of connecting people to meaning wage work. And so uh, we want to make sure that, yeah, we want to make sure that people are getting what they need to have the quality of life that they deserve. Mississippi, for for a variety of reasons, historical and and traditional, um, we we tend to end up on the bottom of lists. A That's lot. right. But so one thing is, that we'll raise up is that we are number three in FAFSA completion. So our I students are willing so, to go to college. So what is the website for Woodward Hines if people sure. want to look up? Great. It is woodwardhines.org. That's W-O-O-D-W-A-R-D-H-I-N-E-S.org. Love that. So we are just about out of time. So do you have one sentence or one nugget that you would like to share with somebody that is a word of wisdom or encouragement? You can do it because you say so. Oh, I love that. Just believe in yourself. You can do it. Fantastic. So we are out of time. I am so excited that you were here with me, um, Ms. Watson, on this show. So if anybody is out there and would love to connect with me, please join me on my Facebook page, Stephanie Rector Duguid, or in my Facebook community, Duguid Leadership. With lifelong experiences in education, I'd love to be a speaker at your next event or work directly with you through my Empowering Women Mentorship. Make sure that you turn in next month for the podcast of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. And I want to leave you with my absolute favorite quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. A good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. If you are looking for a confidence booster, go to my Instagram account, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. I have a free worksheet that is a confidence builder worksheet for you to get you on the right path. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Tune in next time and have a great one. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and podcast show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership with Dr. Stephanie Duguid. We hope you'll join us for another inspiring episode 